lean on those resources again. And had those resources not been there, I'd have drank myself into oblivion. I would have denied having any problems. I would have probably lost my family. All those things really saved my life. And then I was facing losing them. I was transitioning out and I was going to be stuck to the VA system. And then that's when I started calling my friends and was like, hey, what do you guys do for mental health? We do all these things. And I was like, gosh, that sounds like a full-time job. That's a lot of work to put all those things together. I was like, there's nothing like what we typically have. And I'm like, no, you got to find all that stuff. And I was like, we got to do better. So that's when I started coming up with the idea of a performance gym that would be for veterans and first responders. Is that much of a, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 50 features former Air Force pararescueman and Tier 1 operator Steve Nesbitt. He is the founder of Shields and Stripes, where he's on a mission to help veterans and first responders redefine how health is perceived, offered, and delivered. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Yeah, I mean, I was using Zoom and and Aaron was like, dude, what are you doing? You got to get on the Riverside game. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know there's a game to be played here. I'm just trying to record conversations, dog. Like, what are we doing? And so he's giving me a hard time. But now I'm on Riverside and now you're on Riverside and we are recording uh, Veteran Made. Stephen Nisbet, welcome to Veteran Made. Thank you for having me. Appreciate uh, the invitation. I think this is about a year in the making, if not more. So we're finally, Definitely. finally doing it. Yeah, man, definitely. Um, and I think we've, we've texted about this and talked about it. It's probably a good thing. Uh, I think probably for both of us, because your organization has grown significantly since since the first time I reached out. And, and obviously, I've uh, at least hopefully gotten better at at doing this um, and have, uh, have a slightly bigger audience um, for you. Um, so I, I think it works out that that, uh, that we had to wait uh, a little bit longer. So I'm, I'm glad to finally have you. Where, where do you operate out of? Where do you live? So I live in Clarksville, Tennessee, right now. Okay. I, I spend most of my time, at least the last 10, 11 years of my life out in Fort Bragg area. And then uh, the, the nonprofit's a national nonprofit, but we execute in, in Phoenix and Florida. Okay, awesome. Did you grow up in uh, the Tennessee area? Is that what, what took you there? Not at all. No, 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 no. We, uh, so I grew up in Tucson, um, Arizona, and uh, it, well, was born in Colorado, moved down to Tucson when I was young. Uh, spent most you know, my entire childhood there. Um, and then joined the military. The reason moving to Tennessee, uh, when when I was leaving the 24th, um, I told my wife, hey, when us going there to the 24th was a me decision. That was a, a selfish decision for me because I still wanted to get in a fight. And uh, so I, I made a deal, said if, you, if we go there, um, she can choose where we go next. And so we were going to go back to Tucson. That was the plan was we go back to Tucson. And then she hadn't told her mom that and her mom's like, well, why are you going to come back here? You have a good thing going on out, out where you're at now. And that kind of took the wind out of her sails. And a lot of her family, um, like her sister and her grandmother and her aunts live out here in, in Tennessee. So she's like, well, I want to move closer to my nieces and nephews. So I was like, sure, whatever, you know, the deal's a deal, whatever you want. So moved out here and actually I really enjoy it. I, I love the, the area. The veterans benefits are, are tremendous and, and the community is great. What was that? Um, how how'd that conversation go? I mean, or those conversations rather. I mean, I know that that's something that's pretty common um, 
in the military and obviously in certain units, it's pretty common to say like, Hey, I, I need to do this thing. I want to do this thing, but on the back end of it, you can have this thing. And it's, you know, sometimes goes well, sometimes doesn't like, what were those conversations like? And, 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 um, you know, how, how, how did, how was your transition out of the military? Um, how, how did that integrate into, into your transition out? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the initial conversation of going to the 24th was, um, I was deployed at the time with a rescue squadron. And, uh, while I was out there, the deployment was those, those deployments were going away with the rescue squadron. And I was like, man, there's nothing else. Really. That's the reason I'm doing this job is so I can deploy and, and get in a fight and we're going to shut these down and I'm going to be stuck going to like Turkey and, and Signella and Greece and whatnot. Like that's not fun to me. I'm trying to get in combat. So uh, I was like, the only place is going to be the 24th. And so I told, told my wife like, Hey, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I feel ready. I feel like it's, it's going to be the move for us. And it's a, it's a move. I know she doesn't, she didn't want that to be the move but she supported it and she was like i'll be there whatever you decide i'll, I'll be there for you so I, I appreciated that and then yeah assessed and went there and then on the way out um really just stuck to that that deal that we made is is you know what what do you want where do you want to go and it wasn't a conversation of because after everything that happened with me and peter's accident um and, and starting up the nonprofit, um, there was no, the, the only thought for me was, okay, I, I have to get out. Um, I was, I was going to be PCS to somewhere else that I, that wasn't going to be good for me and, and my wife. So I thought, you know, I got to get out and I got to, um, you know, figure out what's going to be the healthy pathway for a healthy relationship. So just asked her, um, didn't ask her. I said, "Hey, where do you want to go?" And then she she came up with a decision. So it wasn't really a lot of back and forth. The back and forth was the choice of me getting out because mm-hmm. that was a scary that was a scary position for her to be in because that's a security blanket of a, a job that's uh, healthcare and all those things and the, and a lot of the, all that stuff was thrown up into the air because when I started to transfer. Uh, transition out there was no guarantee that I was going to get 100% disability there's no guarantee I was going to get a med- medically retired there was no guarantee that I was going to get any of these benefits um, the only guarantee was that I was no longer going to be in the service and for me that was the most important guarantee because it had impacted my me- mental health so much that that I could not I, there's no way I could stay in and, and keep doing the things that I was doing Man, couple couple of threads to pull on there. I, I think military spouses, military spouses are always in that tough position, right? Where like they're they they either married somebody in the military or or went into the military with the person they were married to, right? So they know what they're what they're signing up for, and there's a, a certain kind of sacrifice and different kind of sacrifice and burden and all that stuff that that's on their shoulders. Um, and so I'm. I'm curious, what was her, um, was she like open to being like, yeah, sure. Okay, great. We're going to make this deal. Like, was that something she said, great, I get to choose the place and I'm really happy about that. Or was that kind of a deal from your perspective that she maybe took like reluctantly and like, it was more like you were giving it to her versus she was kind of receiving it. Is that that a clear question? Try to be respectful as well, but you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it is. And, and, uh, it was still, a. uh, 
you know, family decision, but it was, you know, at this, at this point she had followed me my entire career, which was 16 years at that point. And well, before going to the 24th, it was, you know, actually like eight years or, or so, maybe a little less. Um, and then by the end of getting out, it had been 16 years where she had just kind of was at, you know, at the mercy of my job and my career. My career was always put first. And so now at this time, it was, okay, now what do you want to do? Now it's a transition. So what are the things that you find important that I can now prioritize um, for the family? And so that, that, was, uh, that was more so the conversation. Um, not so much, not so Got much. It. Yeah. And, and shake hands on it. It was a dog is always just disrespectful to my, to my guests. Every time somebody talks about something important, problem, which is virtually everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that makes sense. It's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, element of, of, of the transition, right? Especially, you know, for somebody like yourself, who's like, I, I can't, I can't stay in. Um, and, and there's that fear of, of the, the, the lack of guarantee, right? Cause it's, it's something that, you know, we actually talk a lot about this on the podcast. The, the military itself offers a guarantee of, of a lot of things in terms of stability and structure, right? You have, you know, you have your BAH, you have your pay, it's every two weeks you know, you've got TRICARE, you've got all these things. Um, and so there's a certain amount of stability that's guaranteed. And then somebody like yourself who, who finds them, themselves in an oper- in, a, in a situation where where you could have some of that guarantee on the other side of that decision to to hang up the uniform, um, but you're but you're unclear, but you're also like, I can't, I can't be here, I can't do this. Like that adds obviously an added layer of stress, but it also adds an added layer of the decision-making process in order to transition out and not just work to secure those benefits, but then you're preparing for what you will do after you receive those benefits or what you'll do after you might not receive those benefits. Mm-hmm. Were you two talking about the that divergent path? Like, were you focused, were you trying to focus on either one of those situations um, as possibilities to like equally equitably so that you could you could be ready either way or where was your focus there yeah so uh i think when we trip i think that's what keeps people in from from getting out is that security of like i don't know i don't know what's on your side i don't know how to find my own insurance or i don't know how to find a job i don't know how to like those questions are really some like things that keep people in and when i start talking to guys that aren't sure about getting out or not then that's their thing of like well i gotta find a job and this and that. that's great um but you know there's a lot of transition programs out there that help with that um but that was yes very much the the decision the the discussion back and forth was as we transition out what are what are what are we going to do about getting food on the table what are we going to do about you know if i don't have medical insurance how much is that going to cost and you know is she going to have to go back and get a job and you know where is she going to get a job at where are we going to move how much is a new house going to cost all of those stressors really really took hold but the the thing that over overarching all of it 
was my mental health. You know, where she her intent was really to, for me to stay in, and, and because there was a community that she was so familiar with, and she was also not only was I being taken out of that, and I was fine getting taken out of that, but she wasn't. She didn't have a choice. Um, she didn't. She didn't have a say in you know this. Okay, now this community and all these friends that you made in this community are now being pulled away from you. And and really, it was for me and my mental security because what I tried to explain was if I if I deployed and I went to Turkey or something like that and I sat there on an alert and we didn't do anything for four months and let's say on the last couple of days we went and did some training mission and I died in a helicopter crash because they hit you know wires power lines that would be horrible and and I say that because that happened out in Syria with with some guys that that I knew and uh, they hit power lines and crashed and all of them died and I knew them and they didn't need to be there and uh, I don't I didn't want that for my family after 10 deployments I was like I'm done risking my life uh, I need to be home for for my kids so that was the most important factor in in, in all of that that like that was going to trump everything like we we'll, I will find a job I will go scrub some toilets um I, I don't want to die in a, in a helicopter crash. Do you feel like that was um, your the clarity that you had around the decision that that you made and that you that you wanted to make that you just described? Uh, where do you think that clarity came from? Because I feel like a lot of guys might intuitively or subconsciously understand those things that you just said, but still not want to make that decision because of the structure and found and and um, frameworks that are that are provided in the military where do you think your clarity came from uh two two moments two moments in time um one was forced and one was a moment of realization on my 10th deployment it was a no notice launch um out to, to undisclosed location and we're out there um one one night um just out in the middle of the desert and waiting for for something some event to take place and as i'm waiting for this event to take place i'm standing there with a, with a group of you know 60 of us and you know i'm thinking man what if one of these rockets or missiles what if, what if one of them lands on us and i was literally a week ago with my daughter on her birthday and now i'm out here potentially getting vaporized by by explosives, by munitions, and uh, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to be a blurb in the news, and you know my family is going to be the ones that are devastated by this, and nobody's going to nobody's going to come to them, and and even before that um, it was Peter's accident, so Peter uh, being a PJ at, at the 24th of Mayor Fire Rescueman, we uh, were doing a climbing. Uh, some climbing training and some mountain rescue training and uh, the anchor that he placed um, failed during a rappel iteration and uh, two of the guys fell one was halfway down the rope and Peter was the other one that was at the top of the rope and he was pulled you know the weight of the other guy pulled him off the top and so after he impacted the ground we treated him and, and he ended up passing away that was a realization of like hey I'm not I've treated a lot of teammates and a lot of friends but that was a realization of that that could have just as easily been me and uh and that could have been me being buried and, and he had a, a wife who and she had a, 
they had a one year old that was turning two and they were pregnant with their second. And uh, you know, that was devastating to her. We're not invincible. And then fast forward a couple months where I'm on this deployment and these you know, potential missiles are flying in towards us and I could get vaporized. And I'm like, what is what am I doing out here when this is my tenth deployment? I've risked it, you know, enough times already. I have a, a family at home and, and you, I want to be around my kids. I've missed my oldest son's birthdays, almost every single one of them, um, because I was always deployed while he was during the summer and his birthday. Um, and then after I got home from that deployment, the last point of clarity, and this was a choice that, you know, was taken away from me that was made, made things easier was after the, after Peter's accident and investigation closed out after a few months, six months later, and uh, they found that there was nothing we could have done to prevent what happened or change the outcome. But at the end of the day, they needed to hold somebody accountable. I was the team leader of that, and they removed me from my position and from the unit. And you know, that's when I was given that decision to PCS to Las Vegas, to the rescue squad in there, which I'd been there before, and that, that almost ruined my marriage. Or I could pursue a medical retirement. And so that was... Above all else, like I was describing before, that was the, the most important thing to me was, was my mental health because now I just got fired for something everyone says isn't my fault. I had a piece of paper saying it's my fault, and I was looking for a reason to blame myself. I was looking for things to say it is my fault, and I had it. Now I finally had it. And if I had gone to Vegas, I would have drank myself into oblivion, gambled away all the money. Um, it just wasn't going to be a good option. So that that was my transition. That was the clarity of like, now I know what to do. I know I'm going to get out. This is, there's no other choice. And, and then my wife, yeah, she was, she was scared of losing the, the security of the job because if I would have gone over there, I would still have the job. But I try to explain to her that, okay, it's not going to be, it's not going to be healthy for us. I'm going to, I'm depressed. I'm, uh, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do the job anymore. I'm going to end up deploying somewhere that I don't want to be. And my friends who are, were on a previous deployment died in a helicopter crash that they didn't need to be on. Um, so that was, yeah, so, so the clarity was there. Yeah. Were the uh, the command structure, like, for, was, it, was it like the, the IG that did that um, investigation? Or was it, was it like senior enlisted PJs and, and, and combat rescue officers or aspect war guys? Or was it people that were not? So they had two, there was an accident investigation and a safety investigation. Safety just looks at, it's there, you have a subject matter expert and then you have some other folks who are just, that's their their investigative job is, is to go out and, and look at safety aspects, come up with a report of what happened and then some recommendations on, on what to do different. And, you know, I, I, I proposed some recommendations and I knew what they were going to do, which is just create more paperwork, which is ultimately what they did. It didn't really change anything of what we, of how we operate. Uh, I had some recommendations on how we could operate differently, but that, that wasn't taken. The accident investigation was done um, by a different crew of subject matter experts and, and other uh, professionals kind of in the job. Um, but ultimately, that stuff was being reported directly to the AFSOC commander, who was General Slife. Um, and really, the decision for punishment came down from him. So um, fortunately, I had some really strong uh, leadership, my commander and my chief. 
um, both really fell on their sword for me because they believed that there was nothing I did um, wrong. And so they refused to, to follow suit with uh, firing me. And uh, they themselves also lost their jobs. So, um, you know, had they decided I'm, I'm, we're just going to fire Steve, um, they would have kept their jobs and everything would have been fine with them. But they believed so much uh, in me and, and they had so much, uh, I guess, integrity that they were willing to lose their own jobs. And that's, you know, a leader that, that I will always look up to is, is that individual, those two individuals to say, yeah, this is what's right. So I was pretty fortunate to have those folks in the quarter. Yeah, that's um, incredible. The so the clarity around the decision to to pursue medical retirement. When did the when did the idea for Shields and Stripes come into your mind? And and were you thinking a step ahead? Were you thinking I'm going to pursue medical retirement? I'm going to retire from the military. I'd like, I'd like to get out. I need to get out. Then I'm going to go do, you know, this thing or these things or whatever it was, or was it, were you going to start with pursuing the medical retirement and then deciding what you, what you were going to do after? Yeah. So the, so the decision to medically retire was a, a, like a surprise. That was just like Friday I got fired and it was like, decide you have, I had 30 days to PCS to clean up my stuff in PCS. And I was like, well, I better figure something out quick. I talked to my the psych doc and I pushed the button, came in on Monday, told my new boss, you know, my new commander, like, hey, I'm I'm gonna medically retire. Don't convince me to stay in. Don't change don't try to change anything that I've got going on. Um, just let me do my thing. And uh, when and he was cool with it, and then it was just like figure out what's next. And the decision to do you know, Shields and Stripes wasn't it wasn't right off the bat. It was, you know, I, I started looking at ideas. I started making phone calls to guys that were already out. Like, Hey, what are you doing now? How did you, what's your transition? Like, um, what kind of job do you got out there? All these different questions. How do you even stay mentally put together? Um, when we are so used to the resources we've had, um, prior. Um, and so as I started discussing those ideas, my, my plan was to go back to school and get a, like an executive MBA. I had an interest. I really enjoyed the company Exos. I went there for a, a shoulder injury for rehab. They, they typically work with pro athletes and SOCOM to do physical rehab. Um, so I really enjoyed that experience. I was like, I want to do something like that. I want to work with folks like that. Um, so I got an internship with them, um, with, with one of the guys there that, that, that runs their sales enterprise. And uh, as I, finished that internship. I was like, Hey, is there going to be a job? We're going to do a job. And, and meanwhile, at all this while, it was really an internship because I had the idea of, of really starting up a gym or a performance center for veterans and first responders. I had no idea if it was going to be like a for-profit or a non-profit, no clue of what, uh, what I really wanted it to be. Um, and I, and I wasn't going to start that until 2025. I was going to, continue to work this job and so i said is there going to be a job for me with exos at the end of this and he was like nah <laughs> sick what am i going to do he was like, you need to start doing the thing that you said you're going to do which is open up this this performance center start figuring that out and i was like i don't know where to go 
for that. So I met with him in person and just brainstormed it. And then I was like, okay, well, here's, here's what I do. And uh, kind of put together some ideas, started reaching out to some more people that like-minded came across Dr. Jennifer Byrne and asked her if she'll join me in, in the cause. And then uh, started really took a couple months to figure out what we're going to call it. And they ended up calling it shield stripes. Um, and, uh, and then started raising money to, to bring veterans and first responders to a facility. We still didn't have a facility. And then eventually I said, Hey, I just interned with you guys at Exos. Can I bring veterans and first responders into your facility and treat them the way I was treated, but now bring in therapists for the afternoon? And they're like, yeah, for sure. Let's, let's give it a shot. And, uh, and I was like, I didn't know that I didn't know I could do that. Um, so, uh, all, it turns out all you gotta do is ask. And, uh, and so we started, formulated the, the nonprofit, did all the wrong things, paperwork wise, figured all those things out. And then, uh, and then it really took off from there. So it started in 2021, pretty much right when I was getting out April of 21, when I got out in June of 21. Um, a lot there to, to unpack and, and, and that's kind of what I want the meat of this discussion to be. Cause I think there's, I think there's a, a handful of things that, that are, that are really important about your approach and, and your story that I think can help, can help a lot of folks in the audience. The, the main one is you were thinking short-term, midterm and long-term pretty much right away, right? Like you were thinking, all right, I got to get out. I got to talk to, I got to talk to my, to my homies, I got to find out like, what are they doing? I got to assess, right? Um, I know I'm going to need to do something here in the midterm, whether that's, you know, an, an MBA or whether that's an internship or that's whatever. And then I also know that in the future, I want to start this, this um, enterprise. Well, like, you know, but you also weren't holding yourself to this enterprise starting in 2025 needs to be this. And you weren't rigid. You kind of had this like fluidity mm -hmm. to your approach. Two questions. One, was that learned and a part of training? And was that like an application that you were thinking about as you were coming out? And then two, in terms of the the kind of mental health challenges that you were experiencing through a very, very quick transition, did that affect the way that you approached that at all? Um, I'll answer the first one and ask me the second one again, because I'll lose train of thought. Sure. <laughs> the, so the, the line of thinking for, you know, mid, short and, and long term i would i would consider that as you know just tactical mission planning you know you look at any any kind of tactical mission the short term what kind of equipment do i need what 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 are the uh contingencies you know on infill or whatever we're doing you know what are the initial immediate responses if somebody gets shot right away what are the immediate things i got to think about and then midterm you know, if I'm still in, if, let's put this in a TCCC context of tactical combat casualty care. If somebody takes a, sh a round um, and they're bleeding out, well, my initial, my immediate response is to stop either that firefight or stop the bleed or instruct them on how to start the bleed. That's the most important thing. So in this context of me getting out, okay, well, what's the most important thing for me right now? Get out. Get out of the military and then discover that pathway and find out what I can do immediately to start solving some of these problems. And then the next step in TCCC, move them to a, uh, a bit of cover and then assess, start treating them a little bit. Well, for, for me, you know, in my context of getting out, 
now that I had an immediate response of getting out, I know what to do next. What am I going to do, you know, on my pathway out? How do I secure some things? Where am I going to live? What job is it, am I looking for or internship or, or school thing am I going to apply for? Those, those few things. And then in the TCCC context for long term, it's going to be Kazovac. Okay, where, where is this person and what hospital do I need to get them to be with the platform that they're going to get out of? And for my t- context of getting out, where do I want to be when I finish all of these things? Where, what at the end of the day do I want to do when I'm out and I'm controlling my own pathway? Well, I want to be my own boss. I don't want to work for like specifically underneath of a, a, a bad leader. Uh, I don't, I could never work in a retail store. I couldn't, I could never work a regular job just because just the experience level that we have and, and I just, the patience level I have knowing that I'm, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I would look at these people that are in these positions and I would say, I'm smarter than you. And I've done a lot more hard things than you will ever comprehend in your entire life. I can't sit underneath of you listening to you. Um, so the long term was, I want to run and own my own, my own business of some sort. And that was a challenge. That was like, I've never done that. I don't have any business mindset. How do I, I'm, I'm just going to get it. I'm just going to go for it. And I don't, I talked to, I had a few, uh, um, mentors and they were, you know, I was like, Hey, should I get a degree? Should I get a master's uh, in business? And they're like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to work for somebody or do you want to work for yourself? I was like, well, work for myself. And like, then don't get a degree. Just, just open it up and go. And I was like, okay. That's your degree. Your yeah. degree is in experience. That's your MBA. Figure out how to do it. Make the mistakes early and fast because you're going to need, you're going to make those mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And then surround yourself with the people that do have those degrees. Surround yourself with people that, that have spent the money, spent the time and, and, and have these experiences, but nobody else is going to have the same idea and the same vision as you. So just start doing the things and, and learning along the way and then pull in the people that, that want to help because a lot of people, you'd be surprised they want to help. And most of the help is in, in, the form of times and on services offer. Um, so that was, you know, inherently just throughout my entire career field or my entire career was, you know, you know immediate response, midterm, you know, a response and then a long term. And that's, that's how we, I guess, how I've always looked. And, and I think how most PJs look and most tacticians look. What was your second question? Yeah. Well, uh, the second question was was uh, kind of the the, you, the your mental health challenges kind of as you were retiring quickly. But but before we go there, I want to ask. what well, I mean, it seemed like you were so you had self awareness and situ- you're not arrogant. You know what I mean? I, I understand where you're coming from, and 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 um, it's good. But you're not arrogant because you had self awareness and you had situational awareness, right? So don't put yourself in a situation. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to operate and feel the way that you've already described to yourself would be a negative way of, of working. Don't even put yourself in that situation. Right. And you knew not to do that. So you went and, and you also had the humility to ask uh, your friends and, and colleagues and, and people that you trusted from an experiential uh, standpoint, as well as uh, people who had the other experiences that you don't have. You had enough humility to ask them. And then you had enough humility to take the advice and then put those together with your self-awareness and your situation awareness and say, all right, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over here and do this and I'm going to do it this way. So I, I think, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a good approach. I mean, it's kind of similar to the approach that, 
that that I, I I took right like when I got into my when I got into my career field on the civilian side I'm like oh okay cool this is how this is how the if this was the flight line this is how this all operates so how can I plug you know where you're doing T triple C I'm plugging in Expediter Pro Super you know XO and all that stuff right and so it's it's a it's a I think it's important for the audience to hear that like when we talk about skills and experiences translating from our military experience to the civilian world, that is literally what we mean. Like take the language and the frameworks that you understand and displace them on top of the new environment that you're in and see where you can operate the way you already know how to operate. Mm -hmm. Don't try to act like you can't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to you know, touch on that as well, or, you know, expand on that is you know, I spend a lot of my time as a team leader at, at the you know, joint command unit. Um, and with that, I, I had several guys underneath me and um, we attached to sister services, the army and the Navy, and you are an, an enabler. So you're there to enhance the success of the mission. Um, you're, you're on the ground fighting with the, with the rest of the guys. You're carrying a gun, you're on the same helicopter, jumping to the same planes. Um, doing the same things. I just have a very specific mission set that I'm there for, and, and I'm one person deep. So if I get hurt or injured, you know, the, nobody else is coming out to to be the medic um, or to be the rescue specialist. So um, I may not be number one in the room uh, on an assault, and I may not be number two or three, but I'll be you know four or five in there, and, and I'll always try to push myself further back. But in order for me to get to that fight, in order for me to be next to those other guys on, on the ground assaulting during hostage rescues or something like that, I had to sell myself. I had to sell my team and myself on why I needed to be there because the helicopters, the, the planes, the parachutes, there's only so much space and there's only so much uh, you know, resources that, that are allotted. And they're looking for you know, commanders and, and troop sergeant majors and, and uh, troop chiefs. They're looking for people to, to take away like okay well we don't need this person we don't need this person let's pull this person off put, a, put an assaulter here put an assaulter here and if you're not able to sell yourself you might find yourself sitting at a mission support site you know 10 minutes away from the mission where, where the action's happening well i had to look for ways to, to talk to the commander and convince him why we needed to be closer like i needed to be closer to the fight you know, a, a good example is the recce team would typically move a little bit further ahead of the rest of the team. And uh, and usually they're the first ones in the fight, um, or at least getting in a, in a good position to be able to shoot somebody. So me, I, I do a long-range shooting. Um, I wanted to be closer to those guys. You know, wanted to be in a fight. And uh, so in order to be that way, I would go to the commander or to the team leader of that group and say, Hey, you know, can I come with you? And their response, well, you just want to be in a fight. You just want to do these things. I'm like, Oh yeah, of course I, of course I want to shoot somebody, but look at it this way. If you're, let's say 200, maybe 300, 400 meters ahead of us. If you look at a track for, let's, you know, just do 400 meters uh, on a track. The fastest I can run that, you know, typically right now, you know, at, at that time, at that point in time was a minute 30 around the track and that's with no kid on no gun no, no helmet it's not dark so let's add 30 seconds you know just to be like if i'm really still cooking so two minutes to get to you if something happens to you you get shot and it's going to take me a minimum of two minutes to get to you 
and that's moving. And now you want me to treat you after you've been bleeding out for two minutes and I'm going to be tired and breathing heavy. So it's probably not likely that I'm even going to get a tourniquet on you until three minutes, if not four. And by then you'll have been dead. Or I can be 25 meters from you and I can be next to you in about 15 seconds and I can get that tourniquet on you in, a, in less than 30. Well, that's a selling factor right there. Okay, yeah, you're on the team. Come on up. Uh, just don't get in the way. So I'll do that. And then it's up to me. Now I've sold myself to be there, to be in the right spot I wanted to be. Now it's up to me to, to back it up, to be competent and confident enough to perform those duties. And if I do that, then they're going to keep bringing me on, and I don't need to sell myself anymore. My action's sold. Um, and I take that same concept as I move into – the nonprofit world where now I'm asking for people to give me money for nothing. Give me money and I'm going to give you nothing in return. You're just, just give it to me. so you can feel good. That's a really hard concept for people to, you know, that's a hard thing to do and not just, you know, give me 20 bucks, but give me 10,000, give me $15,000 to put somebody to save somebody's life. How do I sell somebody on that? So now I have to convince somebody to give us money because this person who we're trying to help almost killed themselves. And now I turn it into a story. I turn it into this. You're actually saving this person's life. And that's that's how I translate my work experience of of being a, a good lead, a, a team leader to sell myself into a position or my teammates into a position. And now I'll take that same concept into a civilian world where I can now sell myself or sell the job or sell the, sell the mission to convince people to to support our mission. So uh, there's a lot of translation that you just have to look at it in a different, a different point of view. Yeah. I mean, that's, you just, you just, uh, so I, I want to get into what Shields and Stripes is, what, what you do and, and how you do it and, and talk a little bit about nonprofit operations. But in, in terms of that selling process that, that you just described, which was excellent. Um, and, and for those listening that, uh, aren't going to start a nonprofit, but are going to start some other endeavor, or maybe want to move up within an organization, they're not an entrepreneur, but they're, they're a high level operator, you know, within an organization, they want to move up or move over or do something different. And you have to sell yourself. I think there was a really important detail in there that I've never heard anybody quite say it like this before. And I think you said it really well. And it's, you admitted to the person that you were selling to that you do in fact want the thing that they think you want, but you were ready. So you admitted that and it's okay to admit, yeah, I want to be in the fight. I want to be closer. I want to be able to, you know, I, I want to be able to shoot. I want to be able to move. I want to be able to communicate up there with you. Right. And here's how, here's what, how, why, where, when, right. You had the backup ready. So you, most people, I think, and especially a lot of, a lot of service members transitioning out will be like, well, I don't, I don't want this person to think that I want this thing that I want. It's like, no, own the fact that you want this thing. But be ready to describe the who, what, where, when, how, and why. And then the third factor that, that, you, that you brought it home with is be ready to back it up. Because if you can't execute on the thing that you say you can do to be where you want to be, then you will be definitely be removed from that situation and opportunity and perhaps more situations and opportunities like that in the future. But if you start from a foundational understanding of, yeah, this is what I want. This is why I want it. This is how I'm going to do it. And then you actually back it up. That's a really, really uh, game-changing kind of mindset-altering um, framework for people. 
Because I think people maybe bring like a false humility to like, oh, I don't want them to think I want this. No, you do. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot more to it than that. You know, before we started doing um, missions where, you know, I didn't just show up on a team, go on a deployment and say, the first time I'm meeting you where I'm going on, that's Oscars. We'd spend a lot of time, you know, in a fob and I took it upon myself. I brought my own sniper rifle out and my own optics. And I went to them, to the recce team and I said, hey, I know a little bit about long range shooting. I've been to a couple courses. I want to learn from like what you guys do. Can you show me some tips and tricks and and this and really get into their like find out what they like, even if you don't like it. Even if, if you are a person that's trying to get something, find out what they like and then do the thing that they like with them. Um, so they like long range shooting. We came up with some drills. Just spent most of our time shooting long range. And as I built built those relationships and built their confidence, they're like, now, yeah, it was no longer was I asking to go out there. They were they were demanding. There was no. It was just like, oh, PJ's with us, and I was like, sweet. I now I know where I'm gonna go. I know what equipment I need, um, and I know I can get my blast on. Or know they're comfortable with me getting my blast on. So uh, that yeah, in any aspect, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, yeah. In any any aspect, any, anything that you want to, to sell yourself and and do, it doesn't have to. Just, you know, I'm talking about combat just because it's that's what I'm used to. But you know, if you're whatever you do, think of it in that context. I think it's a, it's a it's. I mean, it's relevant, right? It's relevant to your experience, and it's and it's a relevant um, like a microcosm. And I, I think you bring up a great point, which which is definitely I think foundational. Um, but want to make sure that that I'm clear with everybody. I am not advocating for inserting yourself into a situation in which you have not developed uh, relationships and 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 shown competency and shown humility to understand that other folks are subject matter experts on things that you might not be, even if you have a talent for it. I'm not at all advocating for 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 that, right? Like, don't just be like, "Hey, I can do it, and I want to do it." I'm saying, if you're within an organization or you you've built these relationships and and you have an understanding and you have a strong kind of foundation there relationally, that's when you can certainly admit that like, yeah, hey, I want to do this extra thing because it's cool. Uh, or I want to do this extra thing because I, I want to be there and here's how I can support. Absolutely an excellent point um, that I want to underscore and highlight so that people don't think that I'm like, yeah, man, just do whatever you want. All you got to do is say it. It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, would love to. So I think it's a good segue um, into Shields and Stripes and, and what's the vision? Um, what's the mission? How are you executing? How are you operating? What are some of the mistakes that you've made? What are the, some of the successes that you've had? And what are some of the things that you've, you've learned? And, and what are you doing? Yeah, so um, as I described with, with what happened with Peter's accident and my career, me being removed, um, I used the resources at my unit. We were at a, I was at a tier one unit um, in the joint command. And uh, at those units, we have a really robust staff of human performance specialists. You have strength conditioning coaches. You have um, uh, physical therapists, dietitians, um, psychologists, just really a lot of experts that are working to keep you operating at a high level, just to keep you going. And uh, with that, I use them a lot, especially towards the end of my career when I was, you know, I couldn't remember people I'd known for 10 years. I was like, I don't, it was embarrassing to me because I knew this person, I just didn't know their name. I didn't know really what to say to them because I knew like they were my friends. I'd see them all the time and I just didn't remember his name and I couldn't like, I'd walk by them at Walmart and I'd avoid them because I would, I'd be afraid to say, Hey, what's up, man. Um, 
because I didn't remember her name. And uh, and I was like, I must have some gnarly TBI. So I went and got a uh, MRI and a brain scan and whatnot and did some cognitive testing. And they're like, well, you actually performed really well. You're actually above average on most of your uh, categories for, for brain-wise. Your brain looks good. There's one spot in there that actually is, is, a, is a concern, and that is your attentiveness. And you lose attention really fast. You can't keep keep attention on anything and that's really bad and usually that's very indicative of severe ptsd especially with all everything else being great and i was like i don't got that that ain't me uh i've ever seen tv like ptsd and tv like i don't wake up choking my my wife or anything like that i'm not like losing my mind and i don't have these crazy nightmares and flashbacks and they're like well you should speak to a psychologist anyway so i sat with a psych doc and then it's very very um closed off didn't want to talk about much didn't and then eventually i opened up and discovered a lot of symptoms i didn't realize i had you know the memory loss the poor communication the distance from everybody anxiety turns out i had sleep apnea at 30 years old uh, I had uh you know, depression all these things i didn't enjoy doing my job again um or doing my job anymore and then went on that as after all that therapy started to enjoy it again um, and then went to um, Idaho, where Peter passed away, depressed, anxious, blaming myself, guilt, all those symptoms, leaned on those resources again, came back on that, went to that deployment, came back from that deployment, about to go deploy again, and then I got fired, and then went right back down to the dumps, guilt, shame, blame, you know, nightmares, the works, and... Uh, and I leaned on those resources again. And had those resources not been there and I was just stuck to my own devices, I'd have drank myself into oblivion. I would have, you know, denied having any problems. I would have, you know, probably lost my family. Um, so, so those, all those things really saved, saved my, you know, my, my life. And then I was at facing losing them. I was transitioning out and I was going to be stuck to the VA system. And then that's when I started calling my friends and was like, Hey, what do you got to do for mental health? When we get out? And they're like, yeah, we do all these things. And I was like, gosh, that sounds like a full-time job. That's a lot of work to, to put all those things together. I was like, there's nothing like what we typically have. And they're like, no, you got to find all that stuff. And I was like, that ain't, that ain't going to work. We got to find, we got to do better. So that's when I started coming up with the idea of a performance gym that would be for veterans and first responders. And, started reaching out to different people, found Dr. Jennifer Byrne, asked her, hey, will you help me start this thing up? And uh, so she joined the cause and and uh, asked for the, the job with Exos. And then they said no. And I was like, well, how do I start this? And like, well, I just went to this this uh, this company and then just started the business this way. And I was like, okay. So I went to that company and, and uh, filed for an LLC and that was the wrong thing. So I ended up eating those funds, closed that down and then started up a 501c, started to discover, hey, what's a, what is a, a board of directors? What are bylaws? What are all these things? And, uh, and started to learn that whole process. I had no clue what, what that was about. And then that's when we asked Exos, can we use your facility? Now, the goal and the plan and the idea um, and what we're now executing is to bring veterans and first responders into Exos Performance Gym, which typically works with professional athletes, Major League Soccer, NFL, MLB, just the works, and uh, phenomenal experts in their craft. And get a, the veterans and first responders would get a, a strength conditioning coach. They'd have a dietitian for consults. They'd get a, a nutrition plan made for them. They'd get meals on site, uh, physical therapy. They get uh, 
occupational therapy and then psych therapy in the afternoons and there's both individual and group therapy and then sprinkled in there is massage and yoga and, and cold cold water therapy and stuff like that so all that's in person in our phoenix facility and the the florida facility down in gulf breeze and uh, they stay in a resort hotel and they'll do that in person for three weeks and then once they leave there they go home and now we incorporate the same modalities of treatment in a telehealth setting so nine weeks so it's a three-month total model three weeks in person nine weeks of telehealth and they still have a strength coach they still have a dietitian they still have a physical therapist and they still have a psych doc that works with them now at home to peer into their pantry what do they have for food what do they have for gym space what do they what do they have for tools for physical therapy we have a partnership with therabody where therabody donates theraguns smart goggles they take those home with them Partnerships with other organizations like Big Fish Foundation, which produce, uh, produces PT kits for us so they can take home bands and sliders and things like that. The PT can work with them. And once they're complete with that, the three months, um, we then do follow-up checks to make sure that they're still on, on track. Uh, and if they're not, if for some reason they fall off track, we can provide them some resources to get them back on track or provide them the same providers. And, and this time now they're taking insurance and things like that. So all of this is is a donation-based uh, program. So it costs about $15,000 to put somebody through it. And uh, all of that's either foundational sponsorships, um, generous donations, fundraisers, and things like that. But none of us take a salary. I don't, I don't get paid from this. This is just something that uh, is, is a calling for me and a purpose in life. That's it. I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, obviously, great, great um, what you provide and, and you've gotten pretty damn good at, at, at describing it. Uh, I'm curious, what, what, what was the learning curve like for you to develop relationships with these vendors, right? Whether it's, um, uh, you know, these, these partnerships rather uh, with Ther- Therabody and, and some of these other organizations, obviously the Exos, you, you had that, that, that personal contact there where you had that experience working in the internship, but was there a learning curve at all for you? Because you seem very comfortable talking about it. You seem very comfortable describing it. And you've already talked a little bit about, about the selling process and kind of how you how you thought about it through through a military framework. But was there a learning curve at all for you? And what was it like to build those relationships yeah. as you uh, as you move through it? Yeah, and, and each time I do these things, I, I mean, this is a rep right here. This is a repetition of how do I want, what's the message, who's the audience, and, and how do I want to spin it and, and get what's what ultimately what I want out of this. Um, with Therabody, a lot of these partnerships that we have, like with Exos and Therabody and, and services like that, are relationship-based. You know, I had the internship with Exos, and that was a, a friend, a friend's friend who invited me to do that. Well, the guy that I interned for, his really good friend was a vice president at, at Therabody, he introduced me to, to him. I told a story and he was like, boom, we want to support this. And then once they started supporting it and we provide them feedback, I'm able to sit in front of CEOs of these companies and then explain to them, this is what we do. This is what's happening inside your facility. This is what you're supporting. And then really they get by even more by it. And they're like, whatever you need or, or, or sold. And those are a pretty easy, um, early adopters, if you will. Those are people that are very in, interested in in wanting to, to help people. Exos and Therabody, they truly want to help people. You know, they're not like, they don't make money off of this. They, this is just something that they are really into. 
Then there's other organizations. When I first started out talking to, I, I reached out to like 10 different nonprofits to, to ask, hey, how do you start this up? What's, what are some lessons learned? What, what do I need to know getting into the space? And you know, their feedback was a, a little bit different than I anticipated. Their feedback was, it's really hard, uh, at least nine out of 10. It's really hard. Don't do it. This is the worst decision you could possibly make. Um, you should just quit. You, why don't you come work for me? Um, that's a dumb idea. Nobody's ever going to do that. You're never going to get a team together that's going to work together that way. Um, no one's going to give money to that. So all these all these people telling me that it's too hard. And, uh, and I'm like, these people have no clue who I am and what I've been through. And they're going to tell me something's too hard. Uh, and so at the end of you know one of those conversations, I was like, look, man, like, you're not very helpful at all. I'm, I'm simply asking, like, how do you interact with people? How do you get these contacts? Do you just Google search them? Do you, what do you, do you have relationships? How does it work for you? Because I don't know anything about this space, but you're just clearly being a, a, you know, a douchebag. And I don't, I don't appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and one organization, Big Sky Bravery, um, their CEO took, took our call. And I was like, what, how do I do this? And he outlined, this is what you need to do. Get out a pen and paper, bam. And so I started writing down and, and he was really, Josh McCain was just really fantastic to give us the confidence to continue to push forward. And it was those small victories that are like, okay, I can take nine no's and get one yes. And so now the lesson learned was cast this wide net. So these foundations that now support us, like the Green Beret Foundation, the Special Forces Charitable Trust, and uh, Big Fish Foundation, Journey Hill Project, these these big foundations that are donating to us. Um, there, it was just an email, of like, "Hey, here's who we are, and here's here's who we support. Are you willing to take a phone call? And if I can get them on the phone, I can, or at least in a in a virtual meeting, I can sell it to them. And and I watch their interaction. There's some companies that um, are very much into the the numbers, calling the numbers. You know, there's a, there's a reason why we have it three months long. There's a lot of like you know, three-day, two-day workshops and vacations and things like that. And those are great. And those are required. Those are things that absolutely people should take part in. But those are not saving lives. Those aren't, you know, you can't give somebody a, a, a veteran, you know, tickets to an NFL game. And then they're going to go back and say that was life-changing. Like, that was a cool experience. But also that was not life-changing. Where this program, what we're putting on is three months because we're legitimately trying to reset your life to make you make better decisions and not take your life to realize that there's, there's a community out there that, that needs you. So that, that's what we try to convey. That's, those are the lessons learned of, you know, developing the craft of who my audience is and what story to tell, how deep and detailed should I get it? You know, one, one thing that I've always kept up with is I'm always looking for tears in the audience. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if nobody's crying, then I, I need to go deeper. I need to get more detailed. And, and then once I start seeing the old tears, this old number, then I'm like, okay, now I need to hit the, now I need to hit the ask. And that's when we start like getting them to write checks. But I have to see them cry first and then I'll hit the ask. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good heuristic for that. I, I like it. Um, all right. So to, to, to close things out here, I mean, I, I've, I've been asking an open-ended question. Um, to, to end the podcast recently, you know, kind of what's on your heart or your mind for, for our community. 
uh, I feel like you've spilled your heart and 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 given us what's on your mind. Um, so I don't want to take that opportunity away from you, but um, that's that's the question that we've been ending the podcast with. And then I also want to know um, how we can help, how folks that are listening can help, get involved, donate, um, buy merch, whatever 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 we can do to help. Um, let us know. So what's on your heart and in your mind, and how can we help? Yeah, I'll start with uh, I'll start with how you can help, and then I'll finish with with what's on my mind. Um, how we can help we, we we just got sponsored for a charity miles um, application so you can go to, we'll want to um, iPhones or Androids and download charity miles and then we can you can select us as a, as a uh, organization on there and you can become a, a, a fundraiser on there you can run a peer campaign and uh, and do like you know somebody can can commit five hundred dollars to you every mile you walk that is a dollar that goes towards that 500 right and then that would come to us so that's a that's a form um you know you can donate on the website through our, our square um app on the website um, or or mail a check or anything like that but most importantly is to share what we do um, to find us on social media to, to like our stuff share it repost it those kinds of things um, those are tremendously helpful um, and and continue to uh, to support what we do. You know, every, every like I said, everything that uh, every every bit of money that we raise goes towards these uh, veterans and first responders. I don't again, I don't get a paycheck out of this. Uh, I have a, a, a huge team of volunteers. We're always looking to grow more. Like we we run these cohorts, but we can triple, if not quadruple, the amount of cohorts we run if we had the amount of money that we're looking for. So if you have the financial capability, please uh, help us out. Um, and then what's on my heart and mind is, you know, these all are really, really great resources. These are all resources that helped me, you know, regain my health, my mental health. Um, there are very few things that will help you um, in life to find forgiveness for yourself. And, the, and typically the guilt is what haunts us the most. Um, and so, you know, not, uh, I know this, we're not a faith-based um, nonprofit, and, and I don't know about your show if it's faith based, but that is what um, discovered, you know, discovering, rediscovering my faith is what um, brought me down a pathway of forgiveness and peace for myself. Um, no, ma- no amount of therapy could have could have helped me there. And, and Peter was a, a very much in tune with his faith, and uh, and I rediscovered it with his loss. So. That's the only thing that's helped me find peace and forgiveness for myself. And and if you are in that position where you just don't know what to do, you feel like you know, you're depressed, your kids are scared of you, your family's afraid of you, you're disconnected, take a look in the mirror and, uh, and go have a very honest, open conversation, a candid conversation with your family or significant other. And then look for resources to, to open up um, because I promise you, you're not alone. Well said. Not much to add there. So we will link um, all that in the in the show notes, the app, and as as well as uh, links to the website. Where where can people find find you and and the organization on on social media? Yeah. So if, uh, you just Google um, W or you can put in the search bar www.wheelsandstripes.org. Um, at the bottom of the page, it should have our handles for uh, for our Instagram and our and our uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can search me on LinkedIn, Stephen Nesbitt. I should pop up or Shields and Stripes on there. 
or even on the Instagram that pop up. I don't have an Instagram, but you know, one of our great volunteers runs that. So apparently it's doing really well. So um, that's, that's good news. Yeah. That's great contact on there. Well, listen, um, sincerely appreciate your time. Uh, sincerely appreciate what you do. Uh, I'm sure this won't be the first time that we, that we uh, have a conversation and, and record it and uh, would love to keep in touch and, and see how we can, um, how, uh, how we can help and, and, and stay involved. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad it, uh, we finally got it together and I'm sure we'll do it again. Absolutely. All right. Appreciate you, brother. We'll see you.